0: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
1: It's Sunday, August 19th. I'm Margaret Brennan, and this is Face the Nation. Fighting a wave of negative publicity sparked by the release of a tell-all book, along with embarrassing secret audio recordings, President Trump tried to change the subject. He revoked the security clearance of one of his harshest critics, former CIA chief John Brennan. He threatened to do the same with another nine national security officials he either disagrees with or fired. Among the dozens of former intelligence officials who swiftly condemned the president's action was former CIA director Leon Panetta. We'll hear from him. Our CBS News battleground tracker shows the race for control of the House could be shifting. We'll take a look at the critical role of female voters and the record-breaking number of women running for office. Two Democrats, New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand and Virginia congressional candidate Jennifer Wexton, join us. Congresswoman Christy Nome of South Dakota joins us with the Republican perspective. She could become her state's first female governor. It's all coming up on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. The president's efforts to silence his critics in the intelligence community has not discouraged them from demonstrating the right to free speech. As former CIA Director John Brennan, former Director of National Intelligence James Clapper, and former CIA Director Mike Hayden all appeared this morning in their roles as network contributors. We spoke earlier with former CIA Director Leon Panetta and asked him why he opposed the president's action.
2: Security clearances are critical to our national security. Uh, and decisions regarding security clearances ought to be based on national security issues. Our concern now is that uh, security clearances are going to be used as a political tool to go after people that the President doesn't agree with or or issues that uh, the President may not agree with. And we think that undermines uh, the importance of security clearances particularly when it comes to national security.
1: The White House has said that there are at least nine others that are under review in terms of potentially having their security clearances revoked. It is the president's prerogative to be able to do this. Should it remain that way?
2: Well, the the president obviously has power with regards to security clearances, uh, but his power is also limited by an executive order that makes very clear that when it comes to the revocation of a security clearance, that it has to be based on national security issues. Not the politics of somebody, not what that person has said, not how they dress, not how they look, but based on national security issues. This president is now uh, going after people and the indication that I saw is that he's, he's going to provide these names to the press office to use this issue when it's a, a bad news day so that it can, uh, it can cover that particular news story. I think that's a real misuse of not only security clearances, I think it's a misuse of the office of the presidency.
1: But is there any restraint on being able to do that?
2: Well, obviously, uh, Congress would be important if Congress decided that uh, it was important. Uh, to protect the process for security clearances to take action. I think the, the other issue here is that there is an executive order that's in place. It was signed by Bill Clinton. Uh, it was updated by President Bush. Uh, it was followed by President Obama. Uh, and uh, this president has to abide by that executive order unless he's prepared to change it. That executive order lays out a process for revoking security clearances, uh, and this president is not above the law. He's required to follow that executive order.
1: Are you suggesting that this may not have actually revoked Brennan's clearance, that this may not actually be a valid action?
2: Well, I think there are questions raised as to whether or not this president has followed the executive order uh, and whether or not he's provided a due process to those that are going to have their, their security clearances revoked. Yes, The president of the United States has power, but that power is limited by the Constitution and by the checks and balances in our system. I think the president has to adhere to those kinds of requirements.
1: You are a former director of the CIA, just like John Brennan. Uh, So let's look at what some of John Brennan's statements have been recently that the president has taken umbrage at. Specifically, he called President Trump's behavior alongside Vladimir Putin, nothing short of treasonous. Do you think statements like that overstep the boundaries of what's appropriate for an official of your level?
2: Look, whether one agrees or disagrees with what John Brennan said uh, is not the issue. We have something called free speech in this country. Uh, And whether you're a former CIA director or whether you're a former president of the United States uh, or whether you're just a citizen on the street, you have a right to free speech, to say what you think. About uh, our country and uh, our president but
1: should there be uh, a that's different the standard exercise: Should there be a different standard for public commentary coming from former national security officials because of this uh, blurring of the lines?
2: Well, I am a believer uh, in the, the broad interpretation of the right of free speech in this country. The president certainly exercises it, uh, and I think all of us have a right to exercise that now. If somebody uh, uses classified information or reveals classified information uh, or misuses that in a way uh, while he's exercising a viewpoint, then I think that crosses a line. But that was not the case here. Uh, John Brennan spoke uh, according to his views of what the president uh, was or was not doing. Uh, That, in my book, is what free speech is all about, and it needs to be protected.
1: Secretary Panetta, thank you for joining us.
2: Good to be with you, Margaret.
1: We turn now to the midterm elections. Our CBS News UGov Battleground Tracker shows that although control of the House is technically still a toss-up, the contest is edging to the Democrats, and women voters are playing a critical role. There's also now a record number of women candidates winning their party's nomination for the House, the Senate and for governor. But the number of female Democratic candidates outnumbers Republicans three to one. Republican Congresswoman Christy Nome is running for governor of South Dakota, and if she wins, she will be the first woman to hold that office in her home state. Uh, good to have you with us this morning, Congresswoman.
3: Good morning, Margaret. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Before we get to the elections, I want to ask you if, as a Republican, you are comfortable with President Trump's decision to revoke and threaten to revoke security clearances on what appear to be political grounds.
3: You know, obviously, in this instance, uh, there was national security concerns. It appears that at times Brennan has put political purposes above national security. And I think what's astounding to me is realizing that there's over 5 million people in this country that have security clearances. So there's a what lot the of folks out there with important grounds? information. the security grounds? Because the
1: White House has not provided any detail as to any potential violations by Brennan.
3: You know, obviously, there's information the White House has that none of us are privy to. But I think it's important to know that the number one priority needs to continue to be national security. And when we are looking at these types of situations, that if someone appears to have put political purposes above national security, then that's grounds for review. All
1: right. What I hear you saying is you agree with the president. So let me move on to the election here. Uh, In your race out in South Dakota, you said that when it came to your primary, you think you actually lost a few points because of your gender, that sometimes Republican men are reluctant to put a woman in that executive office. Do you think that's a problem just in your state or is that a problem nationally?
3: Overwhelmingly, in my primary, we talked about my experience, my experience running businesses, starting businesses, serving at the state level in the legislature and leadership, and then also uh, my knowledge of federal policy and how it impacts our state. So that was really... Um, brought forward in that primary election, that's what we're talking about in the general. I think that as we look across the country, uh, women don't just want to talk about women's issues. We want to talk about everything that's important to our economy, to jobs, to our children's futures, and that's what we focused on in South Dakota discussions.
1: So what did you mean when you said that your gender cost you a few political points?
3: You know, there's always a time uh, when someone is the first person to be nominated in a state and to run uh, and to be elected potentially to a leadership position in your state where, where that's a new experience for people. So we had discussion on that, but overwhelmingly, the people in South Dakota are looking for the best person to sit in that job that can provide the leadership. To address some of the challenges that we, stay, that we face. We are a very small state, but that also means that we can be nimble and we have a unique opportunity here for some states and governors to stand up and address policies that will give us a testimony of what we can do in this country to put it back on its foundation.
1: What do you think accounts for the fact that it is three times the number of Democratic female candidates who are running versus Republicans?
3: You know, I think most of the time when I'm looking at women running for office, they need to be recruited. Um, I often think back to when we were going to be electing a new majority leader in the House of Representatives. Uh, You know, that night, as soon as there was an opening, I started getting all kinds of texts from men that were serving in the House saying, I want to be the majority leader. Will you help me? Will you support me? Uh, Is your party doing enough to recruit female candidates? I believe so, but I also think that across the country that we have folks out there who, um, you know, women tend to think, I don't know if I could do that job. Men often think I can do that job uh, in an amazing manner. So it's our perspective many times as women, and political parties play an important role. Women oftentimes need to be recruited. They need to know that they're going to have some support there, and uh,
1: that will help them on their path to victory. Congresswoman, because you are a Republican, I, I want to ask you about mm-hmm. uh, the president's language. He has referred this week to a former senior White House official as a dog and a lowlife. He physically, he often references physical attributes. And as you know, he's been accused by at least 19 women of sexual misconduct. Does any of that make you uncomfortable as a member of his party?
3: You know, let me be very clear. I don't think there's anyone that would um, say that they approve of any kind of sexual misconduct. And we've seen many important people in this country fall when they've gone through the judicial process of, of that being confirmed. That isn't where the president is today. But I tend to not focus on dissecting the president's tweets or his language. I'm focused on policies. That's what my job is, is to look at solutions that will really bring relief to the people in my state but also to people in this country. I worked very closely with the White House on tax reform. I was one of the last and lead negotiators in the House to deliver that, and because of that, women-owned businesses are better off today, women's incomes are going up, and that kind Mm -hmm. of results in what makes a big difference in the day-to-day lives of the
1: people in this country. Congresswoman, thank you very much for joining us. And when we come back, we'll hear from two Democrats, including New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, running this year.
0: Memories make us laugh and cry. And sometimes cringe when we look back at our fashion choices. But in between flashbacks of bowl cuts and dad jeans, our memories are fading, and so is the old media that holds them. Hi, I'm Adam Baselogger. And I'm Nick Mako, and we're the founders of Legacy Box. Legacy Box is the easiest and safest way to preserve your family memories. Here's how it works. Fill Legacy Box with your outdated media. We professionally digitize and send them back on DVDs, thumb drive, or the cloud. Look, those forgotten home movies, VHS tapes, film reels, and photos are degrading right before your eyes. Experience peace of mind and enjoy reliving the glory days. Join more than half a million families who have already trusted Legacy Box. Save your memories today. Visit LegacyBox.com save. And for a limited time, get 40% off your order. That's LegacyBox.com. Slash save for
4: 40 percent off Legacybox.com/save:
1: We traveled to Sterling, Virginia this week to talk with New York Democratic Senator Kirsten Gillibrand and Jennifer Wexton, the Democratic candidate for Congress from Northern Virginia. We began by asking why a record number of women are running this year. So you draw a direct line between President Trump's election and the number of women running now. Absolutely based on not demographic shifts, but just pure protest?
5: Protest, anger, frustration, and determination
1: to protect their families. You're running in a district that's been held by Republicans since the 80s. What you're seeing in terms of your pull ahead in the polls, what do you attribute that to?
6: I attribute it to my, my background, you know, I'm, I'm a mom. I'm a former prosecutor from the heart of the district in Loudoun County and I'm a state senator who during my tenure in the, in the Senate has passed over 40 bills. Why do
1: you feel comfortable saying I'm a mom and that's a good thing?
6: Because we bring great things to the table. As women we are uh, able to check our egos at the door and work together to get things done and deliver results. Uh, As moms, we are able to prioritize and multitask all the many things that, that help us as legislators, and we're able to empathize and understand the issues that our constituents are
1: facing. Do you think, though, that in this particular race, it's kind of unusual, I mean, you're a woman running against another woman here, Barbara Comstock. Does that change the dynamic of the race at all? Maybe a little bit, because we are both women, so
6: we can't put it in that frame of a man versus a woman. Um, But when you have a woman who is not voting in a way that helps other women, uh, it's
1: time to replace her. You know, there's a number, a record number of women running against other women, uh, in addition to just being, you know, out there in the first place and and putting themselves uh, on the line on the ballot. Would you also attribute it to President Trump?
6: I think Donald Trump has a lot to do with it. I think a lot of women uh, woke up Uh, after the November election in 2016 and realized that uh, democracy is a lot more fragile than any of us wanted to admit and that the only way we were going to change things would be to get off the sidelines and run ourselves.
5: The fact that Donald Trump has been accused by more than a dozen women of sexual assault and sexual harassment alone uh... has infuriated women enough to do something that they might
1: otherwise have not done taking the risk to actually run for office but all those things came to light or were accused uh... he was accused of these things when he was running as candidate he Correct. was elected regardless
5: fair enough but the response to him being elected i think is this overwhelmingly desi- overwhelming desire of women to be heard to be counted um, and to fight back against what he stands for and what he said uh... he demeans women he devalues women he's constantly trying to harm our families and our communities and so women when they know their families being harmed they will run through fire they will do whatever it takes to protect their
1: family he would argue as with the white house he's not anti women
7: mm-hmm.
1: he's actually endorsed your opponent just back it, in new york
5: i would just read his twitter feed on any given day and you'll see he does not support women
1: the president made that personal and uh rally this week up in your home state of New York, and uh, when he endorsed the, woman running, the candidate running against you, he also slammed you. You've been very tough on him, but he was tough on you and said that you basically had no accomplishments. He hit you for coming and asking and seeking campaign contributions in the past. How do you I, respond? I think it was a very weak attack,
5: and frankly, I was surprised it was the best he could do. Um, but President Trump does not have a relationship with the facts. and. As a New Yorker, he certainly should know that I've passed the 9 11 health bill twice to give health care to our first responders and the families that live in the community. As the commander in chief, he should know that I led the charge in repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell. So if he wants to come campaign against me in New York
1: anytime, he's welcome. Did you hear some of his criticisms, like his hit at you for asking for campaign contributions, as gendered?
5: yes that was clearly a sexist smear and it was intended specifically to silence me why did you hear it that way and the dozens of women who had just come out against him for sexual assault and sexual harassment and the millions of women who have been marching against him since he became president uh... because of what he said
1: well this week uh, the president referred to a former senior white house aide as a dog someone who had worked with him for years Um, did what did you hear when he said that phrase dog I hear,
5: uh, again, a very sexist smear uh, that's intended to demean her. Um, he has... He's used it in the past He has men. used racist words also um, over and over again. He is intending to uh, demean and devalue a former staff member, uh, and he's done that to women of color over the many months that he's been president.
1: And yet, as we say, he's endorsing female candidates in this race. His successful campaign manager, Kellyanne Conway, who's an advisor now, says that it's absurd to accuse him of being in any way sexist. um, And actually says that she's being treated in a sexist way because she's a Republican and that her contributions aren't recognized by fellow women.
5: I think she's wrong. And he can support women candidates who also don't share our values. Women are not a monolith. To assume they are is equally
1: absurd. Do you think that we're going to see more female candidates run in 2020? I certainly hope so. Does 2018 get replicated, or is is what happens in November going to decide who we see run against President Trump?
5: I think what happens in November is going to decide what our country looks like. I think this election is a referendum on President Trump, on the fact that he doesn't represent uh, most Americans, that his values don't line up with most Americans. And so being heard in this election sets the stage for
1: everything in the future. Do you see it as a test case for 2020 that there could be again the Democratic candidate a woman? I think you'll have many women
5: run in 2020. I think you'll have a lot of diversity. Will you run? No, I'm running for Senate, and I'm running for re-election in my state in November, too. And I'm running against a woman, too, which is a good thing. That is a good thing to have more women running, Democrat and Republican.
1: And if you win that re-election, you're not precluding running in 2020 for president? I'm
5: solely focused on 18, and I think all of us are. We'll come back to you after uh, after November.
1: We invited Jennifer Wexton's opponent, Representative Barbara Comstock, but she did not accept our invitation to appear. We'll be right back. There's a record number of women candidates, but what's on the minds of women voters leading up to November? We talked with five women this week, two who voted for President Trump and three were Clinton voters, although one of them had supported Bernie Sanders in the same Virginia district in which Jennifer Wexton is hoping to replace Republican Barbara Comstock. We began with President Trump and whether he respects women.
8: I don't agree with his personal behavior. I find it reprehensible. But I believe deeply that he cares for this country
9: I feel that he is more in line with my values and my view of where the country should be headed in spite of the fact that his personality sometimes leaves too much to be desired.
1: Have you seen anything positive so far from President Trump?
9: To be honest, no. I cannot think of one policy that he has implemented since being in office that has been for women. Can you think of one policy? Absolutely. Tell me, please, share the with tax me. Cut. It meant for
8: me about $150 a week uh, a paycheck more and almost $5,000 in in bonuses and raise this year. That has helped my company we're able to hire more people. That and, and for women, we have the lowest unemployment in 65 years. How many of you
1: think that the president truly respects women?
8: I don't think it's a matter of respect or value. He hires a lot of powerful women in his business.
1: But do you feel he respects women? I
8: think he respects the talent you, of women.
1: Correct. You're saying no?
9: No. What, mm. what do you mean by that? I do not think he respects women. I think that women for him, they are a means to an end. Um, I'm sitting here and and I'm, Jackie, I'm baffled. Talking to you has been such a delight. And I feel as if we are in the midst of the Yanni Laurel auditory illusion (laughs) where I hear Yanni and you hear Laurel and I'm amazed. And I, I feel the same. Yes, I'm amazed. You're
8: a businesswoman.
9: Exactly. You're benefiting. So is I. I feel as if I benefit because of what I have put in.
8: Absolutely. And that's the difference. That's the key. That's the key. It's not somebody else created it, you created it. Correct. But the environment in which you are in now. There are people today that have jobs that can give you money for your services that couldn't do that two years ago.
1: But that's a different question than right. does he respect women?
8: No, but but getting back to it, I don't think I don't think Donald Trump respects anybody but Donald Trump, right? Does he respect women? I don't know. None of us do whether he does or doesn't. We don't know what's in here or in we his heart. We
10: should, Maria. I don't believe that he respects women at all. And when he chooses to tweet things out himself and there are recordings of him saying things you can't say like oh well we don't know because we do know because we've heard about out of his own mouth
1: we'll have much more from our focus group when we come back
11: are you having trouble sleeping nfl players have been coached blue light from smart devices it can affect your sleep they'll even wear blue blocker glasses in the evening for improved sleep others will try tart cherry juice and smoothies not only can it help fight inflammation, but to help you sleep, it's got high amounts of natural melatonin that's beneficial for sleep. The other night, my girlfriend told me I was snoring way too much and even the earplugs weren't helping. So the next day, she took me to a Sleep Number store because if I was snoring, at least she could get a good night's sleep on a Sleep Number bed. Sleep Number beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses your movement and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably through the night. With Sleep IQ technology inside the bed, it tracks how you're sleeping so you can know every morning how well you've slept and gain insights for your best sleep. Experience the smart, effortless comfort of the Sleep Number 360 smart bed. Find your competitive edge with proven, quality sleep from $999. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find the one nearest you at sleepnumber.com slash cadence. That's sleepnumber.com slash C-A-D-E-N-C-E. Sleepnumber.
1: Number. Welcome back to Face the Nation. Here's more of our conversation with women voters in Virginia. What do you think here in Virginia of the idea that two women are running against each other?
8: That's great. Airplane yeah. food, huh. hospital food. <laughs> oh, what does that mean? <laughs> That's <funny>. I, I <laughs> get it. kill you, but neither ones are worth it. Have you made up your mind yet? Yes. Do you want to share with us? I will vote for Barbara Comstock. Mm-hmm. I will hold my nose. Indeed. That makes two of us.
1: And the three of you are going the yes, other way. yeah,
7: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: And do you view that as a vote against Donald Trump when you go to vote for the Democratic candidate?
9: No, not necessarily. Um, I live in northern Virginia, like all of you, but I live in the Luckett's area. And I feel as if Barbara Comstock has not done enough to alleviate road concerns. I mean, just basic things that are going on in my community. Iris, do you
1: view this as a referendum on President Trump?
9: The whole election, it probably has been turned into that. But when you're casting your vote, when no. you go into when that I voting When I cast booth, my vote, I usually cast my vote for, again, the person who I think is most likely to represent my values and my principles and to good, do good for the country, or in this case, the state of Virginia.
1: You all do think there will be a female president. At oh, absolutely. Time. absolutely.
9: So, eventually. I mean, Eventually. eventually you know, I'm 50 years old and I'm thinking, I thought that possibly in November of 2016 we would have seen the first female president. I'm not sure that it will happen within the next 10 years. I don't believe it will happen.
1: Maria, you're you're our millennial in the group. <laughs> awesome. Are you feeling motivated this November in a way that
10: perhaps you didn't in the past? I think... In a way, yes. I think that that the two-party system is so polarizing, um, and I think that a lot of people of my generation agree with that. Do you think you've all become more politically interested or active since President Trump? Mm-hmm.
7: I have. I know I have. My family has become way more political. My sister, very introverted, she is out there. She's canvassing. She is creating her own pack, even, because she is that motivated and so am I. And I never really voted in an election. I wasn't registered to vote because I chose not to. I didn't want my data out there. Now I'm like, okay, have my data. I have definitely become more political. It is polarizing. I've
9: always been fascinated. Um, I grew up in Michigan. My Mm -hmm. father was a very strong Union Democrat. And I was in middle school when the air traffic controllers went on strike. And President Reagan said, if you don't go back to work, you're going to be fired. I was 10, 11, 12. I I don't even remember. And my first thought was, well, if you don't go to work, then you should be fired. So those were conversations that I really couldn't have in my household. I I definitely think one size does not fit all. So I have always been more issue-driven. Is the fact that a candidate is a woman or that
1: she's a mother count as sort of a bonus for you? Do you view that as a positive thing? No,
9: no not
1: Not, not in my necessarily, case. no.
9: Not
1: no. Gender doesn't influence
9: whether you favor a candidate. It never has. Almost never. I'm, I'm trying to think if there's ever been an instance where I've just picked a woman over a man and I don't believe that I have. Yeah. I, I think it's, again, it's an issue. Um, an issue yes. for me. It has to be...
10: At this point in time, really, women in politics is still very young. So That's as correct. the time goes on, and more women will have been political figures for longer, they're going to be stronger candidates. And so I believe, for that reason, that there will be a woman president. Hopefully, oh, in the next I, I 20, hope 15 I hope so. Do
1: you think that Washington would function better
10: if there were more women <laughs> in elected
1: office? No.
8: I, I think that I think that the swamp is so ingrained.
1: So none of you think that women act differently as leaders?
7: They do act differently as leaders. I've I've been, (laughs) I am actually under a woman, several layers of women leadership. It's amazing Uh and I'm in the IT field and that's what makes it even better. They are um, strong and they are um, candid and they actually care, like they really do care. But I think that when you get to Congress, what ends up happening It becomes a it's a job like it's it's a job you do forget they forget their constituency they do the same thing that any other a man senator or uh, a male They can be um, just as corrupt yeah. but if there
1: were more women because the number is still relatively small would that change it might so. change
7: it might change i was in the military right and when we it was female but in that and so when we were all together it was and when you have that camaraderie you actually build each other up and you make each other stronger but we all had the same goal right we were all going for the same goal it's not the same in Congress you're not all going for the same goal because you represent different people and their goals are different so I don't think that it would it would be more but I do agree with Maria if the more women that are in there the stronger that they will be
1: do all of you think that women are in a better place now than they were in 2016?
7: I do. No, I don't think anyone is actually better. I I really don't. Especially when you're looking at friends and they say something and you're like, oh, you are that type of supporter? And then then that, that just puts a distance between you, right? So no one's better, women or men, children, nobody's better. Animals, they're not better either. (laughs) <laughs> Nobody's better. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you, ladies, very much. Thank oh, you. I oh, appreciate it.
1: <laughs> we'll be right back with our panel, so stay with us.
12: I used to think that all diet and weight loss plans were the same. Well, not anymore because I found Noom. Noom is a new and totally different approach to losing weight and getting healthy that uses psychology and small goals to help change your habits so it's easy to lose the weight and keep it off for good. Noom combines the power of technology with real human support, offering as little or as much help as you want along the way. And since Noom is an app, it's always with you and easy to use, which makes it super easy to stay on track and reach your goals. Plus, it's really simple to get started. Just go online, answer a few quick questions, and they'll create a personalized program just for you. Noom helped me lose my old way of thinking about food and dieting. So what do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash podcast, N-O-O-M dot slash podcast, and start your 14-day trial today. Like they say, change your habits, change your mind, and change for good with Noom.
1: We're back now with our political panel. Leslie Sanchez is a Republican strategist and CBS News political contributor. Ed O'Keefe is our political correspondent here at CBS. Amy Walter is the national editor of the Cook Political Report, and Anthony Salvanto is our director of elections and surveys, and he's here today with a batch of new poll numbers from the CBS News Battleground Tracker. So, Anthony, what has changed this summer?
13: The Democrats have moved into a stronger position to take back the House. Uh, We had them earlier this summer getting just over that magic number of 218. That's the number of seats you need to to take the House. Here we have them inching up to 222. But I need to caution here. There's a margin of error around that, like there is with any poll on this estimate. And that margin of error still has a range where the Republicans could still hold the House. There are scenarios where that that happens. What I want to emphasize is within that estimate, all these districts are very close And we're looking at very small swings among these voters, just a few more Republican women who are a little bit hesitant to say that they're going to back the Republican candidate. A lot of enthusiasm among Democrats, but some who haven't voted before. And so there's a lot of moving parts still here underneath that edge towards the Dems.
1: You mentioned women as a voting block; They don't all go in the same direction, but you are starting to see a real shift in how women are voting this election
13: yeah one of the biggest breaks is if you look at the college non-college difference and we've we started to see this in the last presidential election and in these districts it's really important there's a double digit edge for democrats among women with college degrees here and they also tell us that they're more likely to say their vote is as you heard in in your panel a vote against the president and that's different from men who are more inclined to say they're voting in support of the president. And I should emphasize these battleground districts are battlegrounds because they have relatively more college graduate women in them. So by definition, that's part of what's going on.
1: And uh, Leslie, I guess the question then is for these college educated women who maybe in the past have voted Republican, are they comfortable crossing over in this election or do they stay in a partisan sort of position when they
10: go to the voting booth? Sure. So the president won about 40% of those college-educated. I would look at the other side, 60% of non-college-educated. White women, particularly, were the ones that voted. So, if you look at the pool, if they were white women, they were more inclined to vote for the president. So, the, the dividing line really does come on race. If you're looking at Hispanic women, African American women, or women who are Republican in marriage, like they're married to their, their family, votes Republican, that's where you're going to see more of a dividing line. People talk a lot about these suburbs. Maybe there'll be more ticket splitters. We talk about Barbara Comstock's race. Can she hold con- uh, conservative or Republican leaning college educated women? I Think they can. I think at the end of the day that more of these folks will fall on the Republican camp than the Democratic one.
1: And how much of that
10: is a Trump effect? Uh, the, The most remarkable thing I think that's happening historically, and I know Anthony talks about this, you expect about 30 seats to be lost for the president's party in power. What the president's trying to do is defy history and basically say, can I nationalize my local Trump voters to support a local candidate? If he can do that and get out to all those states he wants to get to those last 30 days, that changes this from a referendum, which it normally is on the president's policies and his character, to a nationalized election saying that we fear open borders, we have a strong economy, you have to keep be patient and wait for the long-term effect.
14: And that's been the the challenge. Leslie brings up a really good point about who's more motivated to vote in this election. Mm -hmm. And we've been seeing in all these special elections for the House, Democrats have been outperforming their traditional vote percentage. They have been turning out at a higher percentage. And my colleague looked at the last special election in Ohio, where you have a great combination. This is around the Columbus suburbs and the more rural parts of, um, of Ohio. In the Columbus suburbs, where you're gonna see a lot of these voters like we saw here in suburban Virginia, they turned out at about 60 percent of their 2016 average. Okay, so they were turning out at a very high rate for mm-hmm. a special election. In the very Trump rural parts of the district. Remember, Trump went into this district and campaigned, the vice president went into this campaign this district and campaigned. They only turned out at 40 percent. Mm-hmm. So there is also a limit, and I think there was one voter in there, I, I can't remember her name. Who mentioned about um, you know I'm going to vote for I'm a Republican but I'm going to vote for a Republican but I really don't like Congress mm-hmm. right and that's really the challenge is Trump's success was based on the fact that he trashed all of Congress including Republican members of Congress right he spent most of 2017 attacking Mitch McConnell attacking the ineptness of the Republican uh, Republicans in Congress to pass uh, an Obamacare repeal. Now to go back into those voters and say, I know you like me and you like that I shake it up, but I need you to vote for these establishment hacks in Congress that I keep attacking. That's a very difficult thing to do. I
4: did. We were in Ohio in that district for the special election two weeks ago and it was just fascinating when you speak with women voters especially, how many of them unprompted were saying I'm here because of the president. Mm-hmm. I am voting against the president. I want nothing to do with him or anyone who supports him. The polling backs that up, something like, what is it, a majority say that the candidate must share their views on Donald Trump in order to get their vote. We were seeing that vividly uh, every time we talked to a woman in that in that district. And, you know, it, it just makes you wonder if you're hitting that 60% threshold, how this is going to, and you, you've talked about this, how much is this is going to potentially scramble uh, the traditional models that have been used to determine how right. many people are going to show That's up right. if Democrats show That's up in right. far larger numbers. That's right. Uh, It totally scrambles. things. And
1: Anthony, we were just showing a graphic there that I'd like you to explain a little bit. What are the issues that make people show up, particularly women? I know health care is something that polls uh, very high.
13: It keeps popping up every time we give people an issue list. Every time we say what is going to be the determinative thing, um, even if everybody's not talking about it in Washington, it keeps coming up in the polls Um, for women. Then we ask specifically, what is it about health care and its costs? It's costs and a lot of folks who say they don't feel that the changes the Republican Congress has made so far have either affected them or affected them for the better. Right. And I think that's one of the things when we talk about what voters are saying and doing versus what the national politics is and campaigns are saying and doing, that does appear to be a little bit of a
14: disconnect. There's a huge disconnect. We saw this in our own um, assessment of the ads that have been run through the primaries from the beginning of this year through the end of July, Democrats overwhelmingly talking about health care, much more than they're talking about Donald Trump. Mm-hmm.
10: You know, I think that, if anything, that's always been a blind spot for the Republican Party. They don't talk about health care. They think about it just, it, it, yes, it is in terms of cost, but women will say things like, I'm not going to get to go to the good doctor, now I'm assigned to the mm-hmm. bad one. When they're talking about choice and doctors opting out, um, a pre-existing condition, which we know Republicans and Democrats agree on, but there's this kind of myth out there that all of a sudden that pre-existing conditions wouldn't be covered if you went in and tried to change change mm-hmm. the current system. I, I think the other interesting part is no matter what policy, and that's kind of my question, no matter what policy you put forward it is not going to change women's verdict on the president's flawed character. Right. That is consistent. And we ask, you know, well, what if he does this and has more tax reform and does infrastructure? It's not going to matter on that. Yeah.
1: And yet it isn't necessarily precluding them from voting Republican. Exactly. And, and as we heard from Congresswoman Nome she seemed reluctant to directly criticize the president.
10: Um, and that might be more just because they're solid red conservative or solid re- Republicans. And the interesting part, if you contrast that, what are the Democrats giving them? If you look at a Gallup poll this week that talked about there's more of an openness and a lean, a more favorability for socialism than there ever has been for capitalism. That's the first time it, since 2010 that, that Democrats are starting to see that in a more positive light. What does that mean in contrast to Republicans who are really much more capitalist oriented they like the strong economy, at least it gives them a place to go.
1: Ed, I thought it was interesting in our conversation with those voters when I asked women about whether having more female representatives would sort of change Washington. Yeah. And they pretty much said, no, oh, everyone's a swamp creature once they get there.
4: It, it is, and, and why I find that interesting is, in fact, if you look at recent congressional history, there is some evidence to suggest that women actually are pushing things along. There was a period a few years ago where you had women either running or or the top uh, partisan member of the budget appropriations agriculture committees and all of those big bills were moving at the same time and they all got through with very little drama and all of those members said part of the reason this happened is because women were pushing it along uh, were more willing to meet with their counterparts uh, were more willing to compromise and, and remained laser focused on getting it done so I would argue Uh, the reverse, that in fact, I think we have seen evidence in recent years that if women do get in there and end up in positions where they're moving the legislation along, things actually could get done a lot faster.
1: And Anthony, I know when you are asking questions, you're always very careful and specific in uh, polling and how you phrase things. Um, You asked about Trump's handling of issues that affect women. Right. And I thought it was interesting in that Uh, focus group to hear people define what they thought a woman's issue was. You heard from Jackie that Trump supporter, for her, all it meant was the economy. That's a human issue across the board.
13: Right. Very purposefully, whatever it means to you. Because what we found was that for people who supported the president and for Republican women, in, in fact, to your point, they said they were primarily concerned with how he managed the government. But for Democratic women, it became much more personal. It became about whether or not he shared their culture and values, they told us, or even how he handled himself personally. Um, so that can be an issue that affects, that affects them as well. So sometimes you want to leave it open because you want to listen to people mm-hmm. rather than right. impose something on them and say, check the box, yes or no. Um, and again, to sort of reemphasize, the differences here are subtle. We're talking about single digits between moderates right. and Republicans. Um, all of which could and and very well might shift as we go on, but it defines the contours of what
4: people are going to argue about. That hospital food airplane food line, I think it's pretty accurate.
1: Thank you. We will be back in just a moment to talk some more with Anthony Salvanto about understanding polling.
11: What's your next adventure? Everyone deserves a chance to do what they love. Pacific Life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones. Plans change over time, and your financial solutions can too. Pacific Life has a variety of financial solutions that can help you complement your life goals and passions while managing the uncertainties. Backed by more than 150 years of experience, you can count on Pacific Life to be there so you can go out and keep living your best life. Pacific Life is one of the most dependable and experienced insurers in the industry and has been named one of the 2019 World's Most Ethical Companies by the Ethisphere Institute the freedom to go after whatever is next for you. That's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love or visit www.pacificlife.com.
1: At CBS, we've been lucky to be able to turn to Anthony Salvanto to help us make sense of polling and the science behind those numbers. Now, Anthony's sharing his wisdom with everyone, in his new book, Where Did You Get That Number? It's going to help unveil the mysteries of polling. Anthony, thank you for taking the time. It's, a, it's an interesting read. And, and you talk with that, you, know, you open with that pivotal moment on the night of the 2016 election when so many people started saying, well, oh, the pollsters, they didn't predict this. They, they got it wrong. What do you think is the m- biggest misconception, though? About polls,
13: Yeah, one of them is that, that it's uh, that they're predictions. Um, They're not predictions. I I don't presume to tell people what they're going to think. My job is to understand what people think now and why they think it. I think too often, whether it's in the coverage of polling or even sometimes the way we talk about it, we make it sound like we're covering a horse race and we're the scorekeepers.
1: We want the bottom line.
13: Yeah, people just ask, well, who's going to win? As though that single number, the leader in a poll, tells you the whole story. Even today, if we say, okay, the Democrats are leading in the race for the House, that doesn't mean they're going to win. It means that's where things stand now. And in a lot of ways, I think that's more powerful and a better use of polling because when people ask how these things work, what they really want to know is, who are these people around me? Well you saw even in the panel where people were talking to each other and saying, Well, I didn't know that about you, or now I understand you a little bit better. In some ways, when we see the polling and people are telling us, this is what I think and this is why they think it, those are the things that people really want to know. So our job as pollsters, you should judge us, but you should judge us not on whether we predict the world, but on whether we explain it.
1: And people's thinking evolves with events and over time. You put an analogy in the book. <laughs> of polling in your grandmother's Bolognese sauce. Explain
13: that. (laughs) Yeah, well look, pollsters have always said that what we do is try to create a microcosm of the country in our polling samples. And that's how polls work, because people ask me all the time, "Well, how do you talk to a thousand or two thousand people and know the whole country?" I mean, it's counterintuitive, and that's a really right. good and question. And who are these people? And who are they? And who, you know, who do you talk to? And how do we find them? So the example that I use is, well, you can do this with a sample. And you know, my grandmother used to sit around and be there on Sundays, and she'd make this giant vat of spaghetti sauce. And if we wanted to know how it tasted, it always tasted really good, by the way, (laughs) um, you know, everybody would get a bowl and you didn't need to eat the entire vat of spaghetti sauce to know how it tasted. You were sampling it. Well, what's the mechanism behind that? It's that the meatball that you got tasted like the meatballs that you didn't eat from the vat or even the grain of salt were like the other grains of salt. Well, in a polling sample, what you're doing is bringing together Republicans and Democrats and people young and old and of every different sort. So when people say, well, you didn't call me for the poll or you didn't talk to anyone you know, about, you know, that I know, well, we probably talked to somebody like you and somebody who could represent you. If you're a Republican, there are Mm -hmm. millions of other Republicans we could bring in. As we're learning. As we're learning. So, you know, there's a certain power in that, that we can be represented in our views by somebody else who's, who's like us in the sample. How
1: honest are people? Do they lie?
13: No, they don't lie. And I think because, you know, most people are decent and honest, they don't realize how much work it would take to lie. First of all, why would you spend 10 minutes on the phone? But you do
1: talk about a reluctance to sometimes be fully candid about who you're voting for.
13: Well, reluctance in the sense of, and I think this is playing out right now, actually, in 2018 as well. When we see Republicans today telling us that they're not necessarily voting for a Republican candidate, they're telling us that they're unsure. So they're certainly not lying. They're telling us they haven't made up their mind quite yet. But the way we should read that number, even if it's just five or 10 percent of them who are saying that, is we should say, well, they're already conservative and they voted Republican in the past. So is that a group that we shouldn't be surprised if they ultimately come home and vote for Republicans? No, we shouldn't. And that's a way to look at polling as an entire dynamic. So of telling you what could happen in the world. So when people answer and say that they're not uh, that they're unsure, we take them at their word. But we should also look at other characteristics about them and think, well, what might they do and what else are they going to decide on?
1: Watch them and see which way they swing. And we know you'll be doing that, Anthony, with these upcoming midterms for us. So thank you. Thank you. That's it for us today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next week. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were former CIA Director Leon Panetta, South Dakota Congresswoman Christy Nome, New York Democratic Senator Kirsten Gillibrand and Virginia Democratic congressional candidate Jennifer Wexton. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com.
0: If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now
6: Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most-watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.
0: The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true.
1: I am just praying to God,